Welcome to the Anxiety Slayer series. Our mission is to assist you with creating more peace and tranquility in your life through anxiety release exercises and supportive tools created to slay your anxiety. Today's Anxiety Slayer podcast is brought to you by the Anxiety Slayer Academy. We've been offering a free podcast for more than seven years to help anyone suffering with anxiety find relief. And now we can help you go deeper by providing step-by-step support on how to get the best experience you can from our favorite tools and techniques for overcoming anxiety. Our newest course, New Beginnings, Daily Steps for Self-Acceptance and Peace of Mind, includes supportive lessons to help you make peace with your past and invites you to enter into the present moment feeling safe and calm. Learn more at anxietyslayer.teachable.com. Welcome back to Anxiety Slayer. I am Shan Vanderleek here with my brilliant partner and friend, Ananga Severe. We come together weekly on Skype to share Anxiety Slayer sessions with you and enjoy answering listener questions from our inbox and Facebook page. Together, we share a powerful collection of techniques to reduce anxiety. Welcome back, Ananga. Hi, Shan. This week, we're going to be talking about how to avoid feeding anxiety by doing nothing. Doing nothing sometimes is the very best thing we can do. (laughs) And the very hardest. That's so true. We live in a world where we feel we always have to be saying or doing something. And I know for me and for, for many, it's hard for us to pause and rest and wait things out. But often that's exactly what we need to do. It's a challenge, but certainly saves a lot of heartache and energy in the long run. When we feel we have to fix something, we tend to want to push forward and and just have it sorted, have things worked out. And sometimes they just don't work out and, and we're pushing through and we're taking action that we haven't really thought through very well or we're not doing it from a place of calm or strength. And we usually just add to our stress and anxiety. And I've noticed, too, that when we allow ourselves to take a break, take a breath, walk away, sleep on it, you know, whatever it is to remove ourselves from the situation that seems so untenable, almost every time you come back feeling better. Have you noticed that? Yeah, definitely. I was just thinking of some examples in my own life where there's been uncertainty and I've just had no choice but to wait it out and either you can let anxiety get you by the throat and really mess with your head or just try and go quiet, look after yourself, take care of yourself. Sometimes things can't be fixed and we find ourselves in the challenging and often extremely uncomfortable situation of living with uncertainty. And Shan, you and I have both shared together that we find the serenity prayer is a really helpful meditation for those times. It is one of my most favorite of all time, and I'll go ahead and read it right now because uh, I'd love for our listeners to hear it, and then, of course, we'll have it available on the show notes as well. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, such a, a North Star meditation for life, isn't it? It really is. And I I invite our listeners to 
you know, write this down on a sticky note, <laughs> put it on your computer, or you can find beautiful cards, or you could make your own, or you could paint this or draw this or write this. It's such a brilliant reminder. And it's, it's right there for me alongside of a passage from the Tao, which is a similar message. It's, it's really about accepting the things we cannot change, about accepting where you are right now and not asking for more or less or things to be different, but to just accept where you're at and to exhale. Mm. I think when we're talking about specifically anxiety, anxiety clouds our head so much. It messes with our thinking so much. To, so to just have this compass of, of guidance of, you know, you, you're praying for mental strength and clarity that we, we can have the calmness to accept what we can't change. So then that gets put to one side. and then we're requesting strength to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think when we have that wisdom to sort those two things out, our life becomes so much more peaceful, calmer, more clear, more purposeful. Reading this beautiful poem is an act of self-care in itself. Read through it, chant it to yourself, make it a part of your day when you're feeling especially triggered or scared or fearful or whatever is coming up for you and, and you feel like it's all too much, come back and read this. That is a good way to begin your self-care during this difficult time. Yeah, sometimes I like to write a keyword on the back of my hand or the inside of my wrist, just a key point that if I'm going through a really rocky time will just help steady me and help me remember. And I think this is one of those teachings that be really good to just pull a word or two out and keep that with you. And the power of self-care during difficult times isn't to be underestimated. Sometimes we really just need to stop and do nothing. My spiritual mentor taught us that when we're going through a really difficult time, don't go anywhere, sit still and pray and wait. Just wait it out. Don't run off into different areas trying to do different things. And for me, that was extremely hard to learn to do in my life. That was not my nature at all. But eventually, <laughs> through lots of trial and lots of error. It's there for me now, and it's such a relief, and really it keeps my anxiety very much in check. And it reminds me of a, a quote from a book I read many years ago. I was gifted a set of runes, little pebbles with, with symbols on ancient runes, and it came with a beautiful book by a writer and researcher called Ralph Blum. And for one of those runes, he had a quote which has always stayed in my mind, which is, when fishermen can't go to sea, they repair their nets. And he emphasized that in challenging times, we're often best served by resting and taking good care of ourselves. And that often comes to mind for me if I've been incapacitated by illness or adversity. As you know, Shan, I've spent many months of my life bedridden and many years of my life housebound. And that quote has stayed with me throughout that in challenging times fix your nets look after yourself right that's so very powerful and you know self-care also supports us with the things that we can change so if something can be fixed we aren't going to do it well when our minds are spinning and our nerves are rattled that's just going to waste our energy and and could make things worse so by resting and supporting yourself and really nourishing your mind, body, and soul with the proper food and water 
and allowing for time out in nature as much as you possibly can and being still, all of these things will help you cope so much better with everything because you've put yourself at the front of the line, made yourself a priority and are taking good care of yourself. That reminds me of the airline story. It's often quoted in personal development that if the plane's going through a storm and the oxygen masks drop, you put yours on first. I think it's a message that could be repeated over. I mean, I've been hearing it for years and years and so have you, <laughs> but, it, but it could be repeated over and over because we have to remember so often we put others before our own needs. Yeah. Also, sometimes we're in the habit of doing that and we hear these messages, but the penny doesn't drop. It doesn't click right. with us. Sometimes I hear something and I think, oh, why didn't I hear that, you know, 10 years ago? And I, kn <laughs> I know I did, but I didn't hear it. I didn't internalize it. Right. So, yeah, we need to hear these things again and again. And it's important to discuss them with, with like-minded souls so we can really embed these messages in our heart. It's also important to trust yourself, to trust that you can take action when you need to. One of the, the things that I've noticed when I feel particularly frazzled or I'm having a, a day where I really should just sit is that I start to second guess myself. I start to not trust myself. But when I check in, what action can I take right now? Not necessarily rapid action right from the get-go, but rapid action does have its place when you know how to use it. That's just something I think is important to bring forward is trusting ourselves and trusting that you do know when you can take action. If a situation arose where a friend needed help, you'd do it. You would help. So I think it's really important to not let the times when we feel overwhelmed make us feel totally helpless. It's useful to be specific and think in this situation right now, all I can do is rest and wait. But it doesn't mean that's all we can do in every area of our life. It doesn't render us a non-contributor. It doesn't make us useless as we often feel, particularly through long spells of, of illness or living with anxiety. It's very easy to, to lose respect for ourselves. So yeah, trust that when the chips are down, you can handle it and you will know what to do. Something you hear mothers and grandmothers and maybe even fathers say <laughs> is when you're feeling a bit out of sorts to take a deep breath and count to 10 and or to count to 10. In my case, count to 10 before you open your mouth and say what's on your mind. But how many times do we practice it? We've heard it and heard it and heard it, but can we practice it? Take a deep breath and count to 10. It can change everything. It can. It can save a relationship. It can save such a whole load of mess. And it's a funny one. If you think about it in reality, you know, sometimes people will try and they're, they're just counting to 10 as fast as they can to <laughs> say what they want to say, to blurt it out. Yeah. But sage advice. Think twice before we speak. I'm amazed at how well it works, how powerful it is when I remember to do it, and what mental chaos I can create when I don't remember. And the, the mental chaos that you create for yourself and then the damage that you might do to somebody that you love, yeah. which, clear, which clearly wouldn't be your intention. I've been really practicing and, and checking myself 
here because this is this is life's work for me. <laughs> I'm not putting my foot in my mouth. Mm. And with the, and with a teenager, sometimes uh, things happen that that really make me want to uh, stop my daughter or to correct her or to be snarky about something that's just happened or to match a mood with a mood or with these words. And I have to just stop and go, wait a minute. You know, what about this am I not seeing? And perhaps the best use of my time right now is to leave the room, is to excuse myself, is to count to 10. (laughs) Whatever it is to get your head back around before you open your mouth. Yeah, it does take a lot of practice. I'm certainly still working on it. I had one situation with a family member last week where I zipped my lip and I was so pleased with myself. It was a really hard one. Right. If I could have done a cartwheel across our kitchen, I'd have done it. But Right. <laughs> I'm not that together. I did it. I did it. Yeah. I kept my mouth shut. Like, oh, my God. But if I thought about it, you know, I'd want to rush back in there and say, and <laughs> so it's like, no, no. Yeah, you kept right. quiet. Now keep on keeping quiet. It takes a lot of practice, and it's helpful to question: Is this coming from my heart? Is it coming with good intention, or is my ego just trying to pipe up from the back seat? Usually, it's our ego. Just it just can't tolerate, and it just has to have its say. So, right as you said, the lifetime's work, but very, very worth it. Yes, it really is. Let's talk a little bit about Ayurveda's wisdom on speech and anxiety. I know that's something that you've studied. This is quite fascinating to me. And it's something we can all relate to, um, this incredible teaching on Ayurveda, that there are these three body types, three personality types in Ayurveda, Vata, Pitta, and Kapha, which we've spoken about in previous podcasts. So please have a listen back if you'd like to get some more background information. But it tends to be when we're suffering from anxiety that we would be described in Ayurveda as vata deranged or vata disturbed. And vata is the energy that's more airy, more ethereal. So when we're shocked and we experience change, we're ungrounded, we're out of our routine, whatever body type we are, we can become vata disturbed. And one of the symptoms of that, that you know you're off track, is you find it very hard to sit still. You find it very hard to listen and you just need to talk, talk and talk and talk. And I know for myself, if I'm overly stressed or overtired, in the morning I'll get up and I'll like my quiet time. I want to be quiet. I want to do my meditation and do my reading. But as soon as I contact another human being, I'm going to want to tell them everything I've read and link it into 52 other things. (laughs) And you see the eyes cross. It's like, oh, I just got up. <laughs> and if somebody else did that to me, I'd be really disturbed. So it's a, it's a check when we know if we hear ourselves finding it. Sometimes you might even find it almost painful. If, if somebody is of a vata nature and they're vata disturbed, it's almost painful for them to stop talking. They would, they would just have to talk and talk and talk. And when we're vata disturbed and we're anxious, we feel uncertain. We, f- we sometimes feel insecure. We sometimes are questioning ourselves. So then we can feel inclined to give a lot of backstories, a lot of too much information. If you feel you're with somebody and they really are giving too much information, chances are they're vata disturbed or of a vata nature that's a bit peaked. 
and they will give explanations, justifications, character profiles of themselves. They'll be all over the place. <laughs> if somebody's really about to disturbed, they'll even interrupt themselves. Yes, and, and then if you're <laughs> and if that's going on with a pitta personality in the room, that pitta is counting to ten over and over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> It drives Peter crazy because they're so <laughs> concise and precise in their communications. It's <laughs> it's a funny thing. To, it always entertains me these interplays of of characters that we have. It's always entertaining sure. if you if you're living it. So a disturbed Vata will often give away way too much, and that makes them feel even more unsettled. And then they they'll just go around and round in a loop, feeling really bad. And sometimes you'll meet one out socially, and they'll go home. And then you'll get the text of explaining, you know, when I said this, I didn't really mean this. Or you get the phone call, you know, when I was talking about that, I didn't really mean, and it goes on and on and on. So that's disturbed Dvata. And the best thing any of us can do, if we feel ourselves starting to chatter, it's like your mind and your nervous system starting to chatter, is to stop and be quiet. And it's not an easy thing to do, but in Vedic culture, they have a, a vow. It's called Mornvrat. Morn means silence. And rat means vow. So very often we see this in ashram traditions, in monastery traditions, where people will take themselves off and just undergo a period of silence and non-speaking. And it's when you do it, when you're used to doing it and, you're tra- and you've trained yourself to do it, it's wonderfully restorative and contemplative. And I know for myself there are periods of time where I just won't talk. I just don't want to talk at all, and I really like it. But It's not always easy when we've got to disturb because it's like an impulse, almost like when you're trying to stop a sneeze, the nerves are really jarred. So it's very, very hard to stop the impulse to speak. So we've got a few suggestions. If you feel that's something you're experiencing, three tips to help you grow your quiet time. And the the first one is extraordinarily important every single day, and that is to get grounded so that you have some quiet time in nature, you know, get your feet on the ground, do some baking, get your hands, you know, making bread or um, chopping herbs or vegetables or what, you know, whatever that, that you have in your kitchen, do some walking, do some coloring. Ananga and I have those beautiful mandala coloring books that we like to just sit and color and, you know, The next thing you know, you've created this beautiful piece of art. Certainly uh, listening to uh, gentle audiobooks, uh, doodling is something I I like to do as well. And I know I think you do too, Ananga. All of these things help us get grounded and really take advantage of that quiet time because you feel so much better when you have quiet time in nature. Just I'll sometimes just sit outside even for 10 minutes taking a break during the day in a place that's very private and just kind of let the sun just beat on my face and just sit there and just take it in and allow it and then I'll come back inside and feel so much better like I really gave myself a treat. Mm, That's really the spirit of Ayurveda as you're describing it there so they just have pockets of quiet time because to to go on a silent retreat when we're Vata deranged to that level is, is a painful thing to contemplate. But just 10 minutes, five minutes, just take yourself outside, smell some flowers, sit under a tree when the season's warmer, 
take a warm shower if it's a cooler season and just allow yourself to be quiet and enjoy the water just cleansing your body. It can also cleanse your mind if you can just take some deep breaths and allow it. That really is the key just to start building quiet spells. And another tip to help you grow your quiet time is practice listening to others or hearing what other people have to say versus um, thinking about how you're going to respond to what they're saying before they even finish what they're saying. True listening requires being very mindful, very present, aware, and knowing exactly what the other person is saying without trying to fill in the blanks. Most conversations are just a pause between what was said before and what we want to say when the person who's talking is done. But mindful listening is so much different. Listening carefully to the other person can greatly improve your relationship with them. It's when, when, you, when you really are engaged, and you can tell when somebody's engaged or when they're not. One of the things that I've noticed in our household is if all, all of us have screens going, you know, that's not a time to have a conversation because, or even if one person has a screen going, or let's say my daughter comes home from school and I'm working, the very first thing I will do is shut my laptop. And even if it's still on my lap, now I'm not going to be distracted. Now I can listen to what she has to say and be present with her. And it's okay to catch yourself too when you're not being present and to just say, you know, I'm really sorry. My mind floated off somewhere else. Can you say that to me again? The other piece is when we speak less, others will hear us more. So as we were mentioning earlier, a chatty Vata person can really wear you out. So filtering our speech saves us energy and those around us too. Yeah, again, it takes practice, but very, very much worth it. And anxiety and Vata are both calmed and soothed by a connection. So when you really look into somebody else's eyes when they're talking to you and really be with them, sit with them and, and hear them, you are forging a deeper connection. So although it's a skill that may take some developing initially, it really does have a double benefit. And as Benjamin Franklin once said, avoid trifling conversation. Only speak what can benefit yourself and others. Yeah. Again, it, t- it takes effort. In the Vedas, they have a, a caution to avoid what's called prajalpa in Sanskrit, and that means uh, village gossip. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, whenever I'm out and about in a shop, I mean, that's pretty much what you hear. He said this, she did that, I'm not having that, I'm not standing for this, on and on and on. Right, right. But how much better would we feel if we returned home from a connection with another human being when you just asked, how are you? How's your life going? What are you thinking about at the moment? What are you working on at the moment? We'd feel so much better if we just really took a heartfelt interest and connected. But these, what he calls trifling conversation, what the Vedas call prajalpa, we get addicted to it. Yeah. There's a lure there that really hooks us in. You know, some right. people just they say, oh, I love a bit of gossip. Got any gossip? You know, we might not be able to do it all the time, but something to to build when we can. Just keep trying. 
the more you practice, the better off you'll get. And the third tip is to try active reading. And I know this is something that you do very well in your quiet time is the active reading practice that you have. Reading really helps my mind. I take my Kindle to bed with me every night. If my mind starts to chew over something, I will just open and start reading. I would rather start putting good thoughts into my mind than have to deal with what my mind's trying to escalate because it will. Once it gets hold of a what if thought at 2 a.m., if I'm not on it, it's going to run with it and it's going to make me feel absolutely awful. So reading really helps. I recommend having good books around you. I just treated myself to the Daily Stoic. I'm looking forward to looking at that. I also picked up a secondhand bargain copy of Spiritual Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson's thoughts on spirituality. I like to read quotes from the Bible and my go-to book of choice is the Bhagavad Gita. So much amazing wisdom on every page. My mind just feels nourished and and calmed. And there have been times where I've been suffering with anxiety so badly that although I was trying to read actively and attentively for the first page or two, I didn't even retain or, or know what I was reading. My eyes were just scanning over the lines and going back again and again and again. But eventually, within five, ten minutes, I would always feel so much calmer. So don't think it won't work for me. I can't concentrate. That's natural, but it will still have its effect. And one of the things, the ways that you can read attentively is to ask yourself some questions as you're reading. For instance, what is this passage saying to me? So you read a passage and then you ask the question and then it really helps you stay involved. Or you might have read something uh, a tip or a resource or idea about something. How can I apply this, what I just learned to my life? And then it makes it that much more powerful. You know, certainly it takes practice and yet journaling can help embed these lessons. So if you wanted to, you could be asking you these, you know, asking yourself these questions with a pen and paper or with your journal right next to you as you're reading along. And you don't need to speed read. You don't need to be in a hurry. You can go over the same passage over and over and over. Until you get it. Yeah, it's not about flipping pages. Mm -mm. Better to read slowly. Everything needs to be slower when we're suffering with anxiety. Read slowly. No pressure, no goals. Just slowly, slowly let the words enter your eyes and come into your mind and just calm your mind right down. And they will. And as we close today's podcast, I invite you to practice daily times of rest calm and quiet, whatever that looks like for you, even if it's just for a few minutes each day. Re-listen to this podcast and remind yourself of the three things you can do to help grow your quiet time, to get grounded, to practice mindful listening and active reading. Thanks so much, Ananga. The Anxiety Slayer Academy has a brand new course for you. Introducing New Beginnings daily steps for self-acceptance and peace of mind. This course offers a supportive pathway to heal your past and slay your anxiety so you can reclaim your life. Visit Anxiety Slayer today to learn more about the New Beginnings course at anxietyslayer.com forward slash support.